So I found my extra little sheep off the plane yesterday. She came safely back. <laughs> so today's Bible reading is from John chapter 11. Starting at verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short time ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person works, walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, 
supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Well, thank you so much, Caroline and Miriam. You can see in your leaflet that there's the passage with an outline of the talk where we're going. Let's pray. Our loving Father, what a privilege it is to gather together today and to spend the next few minutes thinking about this astounding miracle which speaks so much to that great fear and felt need we have, the need to have an answer for death. And we thank you so much and pray that uh, you'd increase our faith in Jesus and help us to love him all the more because of what we consider today. In Jesus' name, amen. So on Thursday, uh, Narelle went to Sydney for her auntie's funeral. Auntie Bev, Beverly, had a lifelong trust in Christ right to the end, but not everyone in the family shared her faith. And as I watched at home via the live stream, I couldn't help but wonder, what did they think had happened to her? Today I want to talk about what happens after we die. Ask most people, and commonly there are three views. The first is that we get reincarnated, we come back as something else. This is becoming popular and you hear people joking, don't you? I I must have done something bad in my previous life or when I die, I'm gonna come back as a cat or a bird or just insert your favorite animal in there. It's popular, but it's bleak because by this view, you don't come back. 
Your life force is what passes on, but you, you cease to exist. So there's no continuity of identity. And more than that, the end goal after endless reincarnations is nirvana, where you become one drop in the ocean of nothingness. It's all very bleak. A second view, even more bleak, is that nothing happens when we die. This life is all there is. There is no God, there is no afterlife. There is only matter. So when we die, we are obliterated. Our thoughts, our consciousness, our being. We simply cease to exist. Again, this is a hopeless thought. A third view, perhaps the most popular of all, is that death is somehow a doorway to a better place. We hear it in people comforting themselves by saying, I'm sure they're playing another round of golf, or I'm sure they're catching a big wave, looking down on us. It kept coming out in Shane Warne's funeral last year at the MCG. Now, this is vaguely hopeful, but you have to say it is grasping at straws, because how do you know? I mean, when people say, I'm sure they're in a better place, you know, how, how are you sure? What makes you so sure, or is it just wishful thinking? So there are three main views. Of course, all of them sidestep the other distinct possibility that what's awaiting us is a place of punishment. Um, in Homer's Odyssey, the main hero, Achilles, said that he'd rather be the lowest servant here on earth than the highest prince of the underworld, because it's such a step down. To go to the realm of the dead was not something to look forward to. Of course, this is to say nothing of Jesus' own teaching on hell as real and terrible and certain, which he, he really did believe, because otherwise, why would he sacrifice himself so horribly to save us from what otherwise awaits us? The three main views that I've outlined conveniently sidestep that. You might say they're a bit of a psychological crutch to get over that more discomforting thought. So according to those views, when we die, we either get reincarnated, obliterated, or we go to a better place. But alongside those three views comes an alternate view, a fourth view. This view is the view outlined in the Bible and it's true for everyone who believes in Christ, and that is, after death, we live. We live with Christ until we rise. This view is the view that Jesus sets out in verse 25 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And it is the hope that beats all other alternate views. I want you to see this. It offers not your obliteration and not your losing of your identity, but your continuance, your survival. Believe in Jesus, you keep going. And that makes it a personal hope. And it's more than that, it's so real, it's so solid. We know it's true because this miracle happened as a kind of preview of what Jesus' own resurrection would then mean for us. You might say, well, how do we know that this miracle happened? We're going to cover it next week, but it was, it was because this miracle was so public, so undeniable, 
I mean, there was Lazarus alive now and he'd been dead. You couldn't deny it. Because it was so in your face, this caused many people to believe in Jesus and it was because of that that the Jewish leaders pressed the go button on the plan to have him crucified. This is why Easter happened, because of this miracle. In other words, it happened. Jesus raised a man who had really been dead. And that proves he is the resurrection and the life. And so you see what this means. Instead of death being a a cycle, like reincarnation, or a wrecking yard, in which you're obliterated and destroyed, or even a doorway to a better place, because of what Jesus says and does here, we can say death, death has been canceled. Canceled. Uh, we're in a cancel culture, aren't we? Well, this is a good one. Okay. <laughs> John 11 is all about the cancellation of death. Now, what does it mean? Well, it begins to be explained in the first of the four interchanges Jesus has. And the first is with his disciples, verses 1 to 16. News gets to Jesus that Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. They're all very close. And news that Lazarus is sick gets Jesus talking with his disciples about Lazarus. And the hint that with Jesus, death has been cancelled... The hint comes when Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. Except we know it does. But Jesus says it won't. Two days later, Jesus knows Lazarus is now dead. And yet intriguingly, he tells his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And I'm going there to wake him up. He speaks of Lazarus' death in terms of sleep. And he's not alone. From here on, we find in the New Testament the state of believers who've died with belief in Christ. It's not described of them having died and being dead, but having them having fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15:20, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. And we think, well, what has happened to death? For believers in Jesus, it's been cancelled and it's been replaced with them with talk of them having fallen asleep. Now, all of us, we, we're realists, we know that Christian people die, right? Lazarus died. Auntie Bev died. I saw her casket on the television. Narell was there, she can testify. What is this falling asleep thing? How can we really say that death has been cancelled. Well, this brings us to the other puzzle. When news got to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why Why didn't Jesus come straight away? Why deliberately delay his departure? Wasn't that just being cruel? Both Martha and Mary said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The Jewish mourners agreed. He opened the eyes of the blind man. Couldn't he have stopped this man from dying? Jesus wasn't being cruel. The truth was he was a long way away. Best guesses is he was about 150 kilometres away, the top of the Jordan River, which on foot is a four-day journey. So that even if Lazarus had left straight away, sorry, even if Jesus, I beg your pardon, Lazarus was 
incapacitated. Even if Jesus had left straight away, even if he hadn't delayed two days, Lazarus would have already been dead and buried for two days by the time Jesus arrived. So if he's not being cruel, the question still stands, well, why did he delay his departure? Well, the answer has to do with what Jesus was going to show by his miracle. Back then, um, I'm told, Jews believed that for three days after someone died, the Jewish belief was that the soul hovered around the body looking for some chance of reunion. But when after three days, decomposition begins, putrefaction sets in, that's when the body is truly dead and there's no chance for reunion and the soul flies away. See what Jesus is doing? So he deliberately times his arrival to be four days after death, not two, but four, so that any restoration to life on Lazarus's part can be understood as a genuine overthrowing of death, a cancellation of death, a resurrection, not a resuscitation. You see? So that's Jesus and the disciples. Next, Jesus and Martha. By verse 17, Jesus has arrived, almost, not quite, but close enough for Martha and Mary to hear that Jesus is close by. And so Martha gets up and she runs out to Jesus. Now, both, both of these sisters, Martha and Mary, they're both in grief. But grief, you know, hits people in different ways. Some people, like Martha, they just, they just want to be busy, right? to do things. Other people, their grief is paralyzing. They can't do anything. Now, that said, we can't help but feel there's a difference, another difference between Martha and Mary. Jesus' conversation with Martha is mostly positive and filled with hope. Uh, there's no mention of tears being shed or weeping. That comes later on with Mary. I don't want to be unkind to Mary, uh, but it's hard to avoid thinking that Martha's grief is slightly different. Martha, it seems, in the interchange, has hope. But Mary, at this point, she doesn't. Not yet. Because no sooner has Martha said the obvious, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, then she says, but I know now, God will give you whatever you ask. And we, we think, what was she thinking was going to happen? <laughs> I mean, yes, Jesus had raised two, two people from the dead before this. Remember the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, in Luke chapter 7? And then in Luke 10, he interrupts that funeral procession for the widow whose son had died. And he sits up from the funeral bier. Um, those were different. Uh, someone had died less than a, you know, a, in the, they died in the same day. Uh, Jews bury their dead very quickly. Um, but Lazarus, he's now been dead for four days. Putrefaction has set in. He started rotting. This is very different. So we think, what was Martha thinking? I know that now even God will give you whatever you ask. We, we don't really know what was in her mind. Maybe she didn't either. But later when Jesus uh, says, take away the stone, you know, she was the one who said, do you really think this is a good idea? He's you know, a bit on the nose. So maybe she didn't know what was really she was hoping for. But what is clear is that she did have hope in Jesus. The shape of that hope was ill-defined, 
But Jesus now gives it shape. He's the one who raises the topic of resurrection. He says, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What's she talking about? This is standard Jewish belief, right? Now, on the outline, I've got two verses, Isaiah 26, 19, Daniel 12, verse 2. Um, They're up there. Isaiah, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. This is the resurrection of the righteous. Then in Daniel 12, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is a general resurrection of everyone, but the righteous to eternal life. So that's in the Old Testament. This is a Jewish belief, the belief that on the day of the Lord, there will be a general resurrection of the righteous and the wicked to face judgment, and the righteous shall receive eternal life. Martha believed this, as did all Jews who believed the Scriptures. But now I want you to see what Jesus does. He takes this Jewish hope in the resurrection, and he says, Martha... It's all about me. I am the resurrection. And then he goes on to explain. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. That is, you had before a more general trust in God, now place it in me. If you believe in me, even though you die, one day you will live when you're resurrected. Okay, I love this. This is so much more substantial than any other hope that people might have. And I've just become, been reminded again recently, this really is the good news we can talk about with people because no one else has this hope. For those who believe that death, death is the end, resurrection says it isn't. There's an answer. For those who believe in reincarnation, reincarnation says, Um, Oh, sorry, resurrection says, here's something better, because in reincarnation, your life force passes on. You don't, you can't. With resurrection, you, your identity is preserved. You continue. For those who say, oh, we go to a better place, resurrection is so much more concrete, so much more substantial, because you're resurrected with a body in a new creation, with Christ, and with one another, right? This is such a great hope. But it's only half of it, (laughs) because Jesus doesn't just say, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we think, well, what's that second part mean? I am the life. Jesus explains, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What's he mean? He's talking about what happens to a believer when we die and before we're resurrected. He's saying that even though our bodies wind down and will decompose, if we believe in him, we won't die. We'll never die. We will continue. This is a wonderful hope. Uh, We hear it on the lips of Paul in Philippians 1. He's in prison. He's on death's door. He's so frail that honestly, if he wanted, he could let himself go. And he's debating, what should he do? He says, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two, living and dying. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
According to Paul, if he died, his lived experience, his lived experience when he died, would be that he would be with Christ, and I want you to see that even in a disembodied state without a body, he says that it would be better by far than being here with a body. John also speaks of this in Revelation 6, which we will get to after Easter. Um, And you can see that. Next slide, thank you. I call it a loud voice. Okay, these are the martyrs, the souls of the martyrs in heaven. John looks and sees the souls of Christian martyrs in heaven in conscious fellowship with the Lord prior to being resurrected on the day of judgment because they're still looking forward to justice being done. But they are with the Lord And they are not unconscious, like they're not asleep from their point of view. They speak. They're in conscious fellowship with the Lord. So the picture that Jesus gives us of what happens after we die is this. If you believe in Jesus, when you die, yes, your body will stop working, but you will keep on living. And you'll go to be with Christ in heaven. And that's better by far because he is the life. But then your post-death experience steps up when the day of judgment comes because that's the day of resurrection and then your body will rise, your soul and body will meet, you will be given a resurrection body. You will be you, not someone else, but you. Forever young, immortal, In the likeness of Christ, that is, you know, he rose with a body that was imperishable. We will be like that. And that will happen because he is the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, he says? Do you? Martha did. Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Well, that's Jesus and Martha. Now we come to Jesus and Mary. Now, there's a lot of emotion in verses 27 to 37. Mary falls at Jesus' feet. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And she, in contrast to Martha, she is weeping. And Jesus sees the Jews who'd come with her also weeping. And then we read he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled And so he asks where Lazarus has been laid and there Jesus himself weeps. And when he gets to the tomb once again, we read he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There's lots of emotion. What is going on? Jesus weeps when he sees other people weeping. That is, he's weeping in compassion. He he enters into the grief. He feels it. He suffers with us because there is real loss here. They're not faking it, this is real. To lose someone you love suddenly is a loss that's acute and deep and real. And we only need to think of those gut-wrenching scenes that we've seen in Turkey, haven't we? With the survivors outside all that rubble, 45,000 dead, horrendous. Jesus feels it with the survivors, he feels that grief. But it's more than that because twice we read Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now again, that's a rather polite translation of a very strong word which outside of the Bible 
is used to describe the flaring of the nostrils of a horse, a war horse, on the battlefield. All right, if you can imagine that. <laughs> you know, deep, indignant, indignance, ready to charge, okay? Now, what is he indignant at? Well, partly it's the hopelessness and disbelief he sees in the mourners. I don't want to be hard on them, but he, given who he is at that point in time, he's thinking they don't need to be like this. And so he's, you know, a, a, you know, snorting and he's going to step into the fray to do something to overturn their disbelief and create belief because they don't need to be like that given who he is and he's there. But also, I think he's, he's flaring his nostrils at death because this happens when he's, he's there at the tomb. Death is an enemy. It's a robber. And it's like he's been parachuted in on the front line of a war and the shell has exploded and he's seeing the carnage around him. And so, like a soldier, he's stepping up and he's going over the top to do something about this. So next we get to... Jesus and Lazarus, verse 38, coming to the tomb. Jesus tells them, take away the stone. And Martha questions, do you really want to do this? Not realizing that Jesus, in tandem with his father, is about to reveal the glory of God by doing something that has never been done before. In a loud voice, Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come out. It's just like in John chapter five, when in verses 25 and 26, Jesus says that, um, you know, for us, uh, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God call out, and those who hear will live. Well, Jesus does it here. Lazarus, come out. And then, out he comes. It's not just a resuscitation. He's been dead for four days. This is a cancellation of death. Decomposition has been reversed. Cells and muscles are made new. Jesus' friend is alive and restored. Now, as I said, it was this miracle which would prove so powerfully persuasive that this was the go button to having Jesus crucified. That was, that was the cause of it being pressed. It's ironic that it was in showing himself to be the resurrection and the life that Jesus, well, it meant that he would lose his life. But that's the whole equation, isn't it? We can live because he died. But then he lived again. And that brings us to the last point, Jesus and us. What we see here is that is what will happen to Jesus himself more powerfully. After being raised, of course, Lazarus died. He's not still alive, you might have noticed. But after Jesus died, he never died again because he is the resurrection and the life. And what we have here is a powerful prophetic picture of what will happen to us when Christ returns, although even better, because we won't die like Lazarus did again. All who believe in him will be raised like Lazarus was raised. We will be raised in Christ, never to die again. Because in the same way you see that his death counts for us, when he died, it can be said, if we have faith in him, we also died. Our judgment was paid. In the same way that that can be true, his resurrection also counts for us. When he rose, 
we were raised. Now, this is why everyone who believes in him will never die. This is why when we die, we haven't died. <laughs> it's why we're not dead, but asleep. Asleep from whose perspective? Not from our perspective, because we'll be in conscious fellowship with Christ. Uh, from the perspective of other people looking on, you know, when you see someone asleep, you think, oh, have they died? No, oh, no, of course not. But they're still, right, from your perspective, it looks like it. No, no, no. From, from both perspectives, we live, we live, okay. We've gone to be with Christ in conscious living fellowship with him, better by far than being here because he is the life. And then there's the confidence we get from this miracle and Jesus' own resurrection that when he comes, just as he called Lazarus out with a loud voice, he will call out our names, he'll call out mine, he'll call out yours and will come out and be remade, will be recreated, will be resurrected and our souls and bodies will reunite. Look, I have to say, this is, this is really, really worth talking about and sharing. On Monday night, um, I spent the evening with a neighbour who'd just moved in um, in December and we formed a bit of a friendship. Narell went over one night and then I was invited to come over and have a drink with them and we formed a bit of a friendship and then just after Christmas on December 27th, his 45-year-old daughter in Cambridge died. He flew over for her service and then came back on Monday. And on Monday night, I went over to spend some time with him. And I was able to talk. Uh, he's a scientist, PhD and a master's from Oxford and Cambridge, right? He's an atheist, materialist. I was able to talk about the concrete hope that Christ gives us because he rose from the dead. That death need not be the end. And he didn't dismiss me because he has no answer, you see. No one else has a hope anywhere as good as ours, not in content nor in substance, that death has been cancelled for everyone who believes in Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He explains, I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And I am the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe it? Do you? You should, because got, you've got great reason to. Lazarus rose, never happened before. Jesus rose, never to die again. It's such good news. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful news. And we praise you that Jesus gives an answer in the face of death. Uh, it is so good to be on the receiving end of this news. And we praise you for this miracle that happened. If it hadn't happened, he still would be the resurrection and the life, but we would be left without such a concrete picture of what this will mean for us. We praise you, Heavenly Father. And we do believe, we put our trust in him. Amen.